Hi friend, welcome to the Quiet Connections podcast. Do you feel anxious and not good enough in social situations? Feel like you're weird, broken or don't fit in? You are not alone. Join Hayley and Stacey on a journey to quiet confidence. Picking up key insights to help you feel more calm and confident. So you can finally speak up, join in and feel like you belong too. Hi and welcome to the first episode of the Quiet Connections podcast. I'm Stacey and I'm Hayley. This podcast is for you if you feel anxious or panicky in social situations or maybe you consider yourself to be shy, too quiet or socially anxious or perhaps you feel like you're not good enough. Right now you might be struggling with everyday tasks that other people seem to find easy or avoiding social situations for fear of rejection and criticism. These challenges are actually really common, but because they're things that people don't tend to talk about, you can see how easily we can feel alone, broken, and like we just don't fit in. Stacey and I have been there too, held back by fear and anxiety, keeping ourselves small and quiet, afraid to be seen and heard. That's why we feel it's so important to start these conversations, and the whole reason that this podcast exists for you. We're speaking the unspoken so that you know you're not alone and you know you don't need fixing. We want you to see that you can do more, achieve more and be more successful and connected than you probably think you can right now. You just need to collect a few puzzle pieces to help you manage those anxious feelings and start showing up first. Over the course of this series, we'll be joined by some wonderful guests as we explore key insights and stories to help you reframe quiet, embrace imperfections and love who you truly are. We'll be diving into topics such as loneliness, self-rejection, mindfulness, managing criticism, connection, dealing with uncertainty and letting go of the fears that hold us back like failure and making mistakes. We'll be gaining insights from those who have been where you are now and sharing vital tools that help us move towards self-acceptance and practicing self-compassion to understanding how our thoughts are not our reality and why how we are isn't who we are. Along the way, you'll pick up a variety of tips and tools so that you too can feel calmer, more confident and experience more joy doing the things you really want to. In this first episode, you'll be getting to know us and hearing our stories. We'll begin to share some of the key puzzle pieces that have helped us and the people we have worked with to move beyond anxiety and avoidance. You'll be exploring with us what it takes to grow your confidence so you can finally speak up, join in and feel like you belong. Now, Stacey and I are both coaches and directors at our community organisation, Quiet Connections, based here in Cornwall in the UK. Together we help quieter people like you to feel more calm and confident so you can speak up when you need to, join the social group you want to, make new friends and go on dates without the panic, get the grades that you deserve and actually enjoy talking with people. We run workshops and speak publicly to hundreds of people at a time, but it wasn't always this way. No, Stacey, would you like to see <laughs> Would you like to share your story, Stacey? <laughs> yeah, so too shy, too sensitive, worry too much. Those are like some of the key things that that come up when I think about my childhood and what it was like for me growing up. So uh, not only did I start to kind of criticize myself for those things, but it was also the the phrases I heard a lot from those around me that, oh, you're just, you're just too sensitive. Stop taking things so personally. Stop taking things to heart. Stop worrying too much. Speak up. Um, you know, all those types of things. So they're came the sense of feeling as though like I didn't really fit in and didn't really belong and the the way that I thought I was just wasn't acceptable and it wasn't okay and there was just this deep feeling of I'm just not good enough that there must be something wrong with me. I was always the quiet child. I can remember you know my parents apologizing for me being shy and not talking to people. I would sit at the back of the class quiet not speaking eyes down please don't talk to me (laughs) and when I was spoken to I would tend to just freeze up 
go bright red you know I was a little redhead kid with a red face oh yeah I know I remember um being in primary school and being forced into doing these poetry recital competitions because the teachers thought that it would help me with feeling more confident and with speaking up in the class and it was just horrific I just remember standing there terrified because yeah I was a seven-year-old kid um having to stand up in front of all these people and recite these poems and you were judged and evaluated on how like expressive you were and how you could bring that poem to life and I would just stand there completely lifeless so um that really just kind of reinforced some of those ideas and those beliefs that I had about myself already. My very first memory was when I was probably about six years old and we were doing a carnival in Falmouth and we did this on a regular basis and I was a, a fairy queen attendant and my first memory is lying about needing a wee and like asking my dad to get me off the float because I just couldn't take people looking at me anymore mm. so I know that that real anxiety around people and around being center of attention was there from a very young age for me so I grew up being this very shy child and I felt like I constantly received messages that I wasn't good enough that I was getting things wrong and interestingly I was watching my mum with my my nephews recently um, and they were just doing some colouring in and she was saying oh no you can't colour in the face that colour because that's not the colour of people's faces. (laughs) Yeah I received a lot of that as well when I was growing up. And I thought that's really interesting that's just a really subtle way that we can start to receive the messages that we're getting things wrong and that we're not doing things right and we're making too many mistakes and and telling us that we have to be perfect really. So I grew up with this idea that I had to be perfect if I didn't have the if I wasn't 100% that I had the correct answer then I wouldn't be giving an answer. Mm, yeah, same. Um there were so many times when I was in school and I would think that I had the answer but I was always just so doubting of myself. So um, whenever there was that that bit of doubt there, I just couldn't put my hand up. I was just too afraid in case it was wrong. And then um, there was, yeah, just that that fear of I would embarrass myself for, for getting something incorrect. And if a, a teacher would pick on me in class, I would literally just freeze. I would go red in the face. I can remember one awful incident when I, I was in science and the teacher asked me as a teenager about a question about the reproductive system and I just froze and went red in the face and I couldn't speak and this was my normal reaction and her response was see this is what happens when you're embarrassed to talk about sex and it was just so so shaming and Mm. oh I mean I I still remember that now and I can still feel how I felt and Mm. feel the the burning of my face and and the laughter in the room I think my life has been a series of these moments where I have been in a situation where I've been the center of attention and I've received these messages that, you know, I'm, I'm messing up and I, I'm not good enough and I'm not living up to the standards that I should be when I compare myself to the other people around me. And so I struggled with things like presentations And I'd go off sick usually if there was a presentation. And if I really couldn't avoid that, then I'd be standing at the front of the class, red in the face, stumbling over my words. Mm -hmm. And I could just hear the whispering in the room, like, why is she that that red in the face? And yeah, yeah. Trembling legs was always a big thing for me. They used to tremble like mad. And I used to always just hope, hope and pray that the teachers wouldn't pick me to to go next and that hopefully maybe the time would just run out and I'd be able to get away with it. Of course, that never happened. So, I, yeah, I just remember just panicking my way through doing presentations or even just like answering the register in class. I remember one time actually when I was in primary school and the boys sat across from me taking the the mickey out of the way that I used to answer the register because because I felt nervous I used to giggle a bit so whenever I answered register I'd always giggle at the same time and I remember him sitting there one day and just staring at me with this like scrunched up face like why do you always do that and I, I just remember not saying anything back but just like looking down and feeling this like sense of shame of like why do I do that and that was a common feeling for me that sense of like 
why do I do that? Why do I act in this way? So as I continued into my teenage years, I just started to become really disconnected from who I was and I was really trying to hide myself. I struggled to speak to people and to make friends and when I did make friends it was usually because the other person would start talking to me first and would continue to make that effort and I would just slowly, slowly ease into that friendship. It was never me, I think, who ever instigated a friendship with anyone and the few people who I did then feel very comfortable around almost became like my security blanket. And if I was a... um, like going into school and if I found out that like one of those friends wasn't there that day I just remember that feeling of panic of just like oh my god I'm gonna have to go into the classrooms by myself I'm gonna have to sit by myself I'm gonna have no one to talk to I remember that too yeah (laughs) horrible absolutely horrible feeling um (laughs) yeah like absolute sheer panic like it was bad enough going to school in the first place because you know you had to be around so many people and you you know you didn't know if any teachers were gonna ask you questions in class or anything like that but yeah when you find out that like you're like one or two like people that you actually felt comfortable with went there it was just like oh no I'm not gonna be able to get through this day So by the time I was like 11 or 12, I just started disconnecting further and further away from myself. And um, obviously what I've learned over the last few years is that actually showing up as who you are is a very vulnerable thing to do. And that sense of emotional vulnerability was not something that I learned growing up. So I didn't really have the the tools to be able to express how I was feeling, what I was thinking, or even really express who who I was. I had this belief that, you know, vulnerability was a weakness, that it wasn't okay to be vulnerable, that it wasn't okay to be sensitive, that it wasn't okay to feel all the emotions that I felt, which meant that I was really just trying to hide who I was. So I found it hard to connect with other people or to allow other people to get to know me. Um, I just believed that everyone was going to reject who I was, um, that my opinions weren't valid or I would be criticised for them, that nobody liked me. And even if someone did seem to like me, I always kind of like still thought that it was just a joke and that eventually that joke would come out and it would be like, ah, we were just pretending actually, you know, nobody likes you and even sharing my opinions didn't feel okay I remember that I would like bands or or songs and if I heard other people talking about them I felt like I couldn't offer up my opinion in case it was wrong or in case like what I thought about it wasn't the same as somebody else or if somebody asked me like what's your favorite band oh well no I can't answer that because what if who I like isn't who you like it's like what music do you like tell me first and then I'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) oh it's definitely like that It was just really simple little things like that, which going back to the music thing, actually for for quite a while, I pretended that I didn't even listen to music so that I could avoid kind of answering those questions because there is that sense of vulnerability and sharing who you are when it comes to like the things that you like or like your taste in music or um, TV shows that you like watching. So there was this feeling of, I need to hide, I need to protect myself. I need to have walls up. I can't let people in. And all of that, like I said earlier, like really drove this sense of disconnection because the person that I was showing up as in the world really didn't reflect the person that I knew I was inside. And for me, that's where a lot of the struggle came from. The you know conflict that I felt inside was really that push and pull of I want to show up I want to be seen I want people to get to know me I want to connect with people and yet I don't feel like I can I went through life keeping myself very small trying to stay quiet and hidden and I really developed social anxiety that meant that I was feeling really sick whenever I had to go to school I sometimes I'd actually really make myself ill just through the worry depending on like what was happening in school that day for example like you said Stacey having one of those friends to support you Mm. well do you remember when the teachers would sit you boy girl boy girl and take away your entire support (laughs) network yeah oh my god seating plans oh hearing that 
yeah at like the start of like a school year or something I just remember that like drop in my stomach of like no like yeah sat next to someone that I don't know very well like I'm not gonna be able to ask for help or yeah I I used to hate that so much (laughs) yeah exactly and I wouldn't ask for help and I'd just be sat there feeling anxious the whole time and going like please don't talk to me please don't talk to Mm. me but also feeling ridiculous because I'm not talking to anyone yeah I remember comment on that yes I'm like I would just sit there with like just my head down and it would be like tunnel vision of just like looking at my workbook I can remember this one awful incident where we were sat at the lunch table in secondary school and one of the girls just started shouting about how much she hates me how much I annoy her because I'm so quiet and I don't say anything and I had no response I was just you know tears in my eyes holding it back and I couldn't say anything and I had one nice friend with me who was sticking up for me saying well that's not nice but the damage is kind of done this constant build-up of messages that you're getting Mm. because you like you I wasn't really showing up I wasn't sharing opinions uh I was afraid to afraid to share what I liked and I would want other people to tell me what was okay to like first (laughs) (laughs) and even if I didn't like what everybody else liked then I felt too scared to say that I had like a different opinion on something so yeah. again, it was just limit and, and minimize my my own self and what I thought and what mattered to me as, you know, as, as a way to try and fit in with everyone else. And what I find so intriguing is that I could go through school with this intense fear and nobody picked up on it. Not one teacher pulled me to one side and was like, are you okay? Or spoke to my parents. And even my parents didn't really notice that there was an issue. I was just that I was this quiet shy person and you know that's just the way I was and well that wasn't true it was I had some real challenging issues going on and I needed help and I needed support and I needed to know that I was okay I needed what you had Stacey when you had mm-hmm. your teacher pull you to one side and say look we all feel that was really a special moment and for me that there's been three three prime situations in my life that have really helped to shift or start shifting that within me and first came when I was about 14 and when I first had those moments of other people actually telling me that they felt the same way that I did I had a teacher at school who after my mum read my diary and then we decided that I would go have some professional help and have some counselling and we had to tell the school about that because I would be leaving during class and I remember my form tutor sitting me down one day and having a conversation with me and telling me that she had also felt that way and that she still feels that way at times and I think that was the first time I had an, an adult really express that sense of vulnerability with me and to tell me that it was okay that I felt that way and that that things can change and I do wish that there was more of that especially in school I'm just going back to like what what you said Hayley there about teachers not noticing and I just remember that in you know about six months before kind of this point I was in an English class and we had a poetry um, project that, that we were having to do. And my poem was literally about suicide. I handed in this poem about how I wanted to end my life and gave it to the teacher and she just gave me an A and nothing was said. And I was like, wow, like desperate cry for help. And it was yeah. just dismissed and, and not picked up on. Yeah, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Mm. So I think for me, that disconnection that I felt was one of the the biggest thing. And I know that that is a a core driver to feeling suicidal. That sense that I didn't fit in anywhere. I didn't belong. And, you know, I may have had a few people who were close to me at times. I certainly didn't fit into the groups. And when you're in, when you're in school, largely you're hanging out in, Mm. in groups of people. And I would kind of never felt like I found wherever I fit in and I'd I'd much prefer meeting with people one-to-one and I felt like I could be more myself and have fun but I definitely couldn't when there was a group of people. I think it's interesting what you say there because for me I almost preferred sitting in groups of people because it meant that I could just quietly hide and everyone else would just kind of 
have that conversation and as long as I threw in a couple of laughs every now and again then it was almost like a a way to disguise the fact that like I I'm part of the group but actually I'm not contributing anything and I was actually sitting there I suppose feeling more on the outside but trying to I suppose like pretend almost that that I was part of it and if, if someone like if, if certain people then got up and left and I was left sat like one-to-one with someone like I would just freeze and I'd be like crap I have to speak to this person <laughs> yeah yeah me, me too I mean like specific people one-to-one <laughs> mm. <laughs> but definitely I can relate to that feeling on the outside and you know that intense feeling that I don't fit in that I'm flawed and I'm not like this other the other people in this group that really was intensified when I was in a group of people for me Mm. um but there were just certain people throughout my life who one-to-one actually felt really good to spend time with and then of course when it came to when it came to boys that was a (laughs) a whole other thing on its own that was the worst for me And I, I can remember there was this guy that I really, really liked throughout the whole of, well, pretty much the whole of secondary school. And I heard a rumor that he was going to ask me to the prom when I was 16. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. He's definitely not going to ask me. I'm safe. And then he called my name and I literally ran in the opposite direction and pretended not to hear him. <laughs> <laughs> so he may have been at going to ask me or he might not have I don't know but I never gave him the chance (laughs) no and that's kind of the theme that carried on throughout my life really I never really gave anyone the chance friends relationships I just kept the barriers up because I didn't want to be seen I always felt like if someone did see me that then they would really reject me and it was only going to be so long till they found out that I was boring Mm. or um you know just not what they wanted at all and so I went off to to college from school and I did healthcare because that's what my friends were doing and like I'd done quite well at that in GCSE but it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to do it because again I didn't really have my own mind I didn't even give myself a chance to think about what I wanted to do Mm. it was more like what does the world want me to do what should I be doing I want someone else to give me the answers and this, the same theme continued where I was avoiding speaking up. I was avoiding those presentations. I can remember walking all the way to college once because I went to college in my own town. So I didn't have to deal with public transport too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and because everyone else was going there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I went off sick for this presentation and I, it meant that I had to do it in front of just the teacher. And that felt just as horrendous to me as if I'd done it to the whole group and of course on top of that I had the shame of not turning up to the group presentation in the first place and I can remember all of my reports were talking about me being quiet there was a a report in when I was in college that said I was quietly confident with my work and I thought that's that's the first time anyone has used the word mm. confident to describe me that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice it gave me that sense like oh maybe you can maybe you can have this different type of confidence maybe it's not all about being that louder outgoing easy easily chatty person mm. that I imagined confidence to be So when I left college, I was extremely isolated and disconnected. And I hadn't, I didn't have this group of friends who were basically just drinking buddies around me at the time. And I didn't go to university because that was far too scary for me. I thought, how am I supposed to be able to go grocery shopping, house share with people that I don't know, um, stand up and do a presentation to a group in university if I can't even do these things when I'm in my hometown? And the alternative, of course, is you go out and get a job. But I couldn't because I was like, well, no one's going to want me. What can I do where I can hide in the background? If I get a job, people are going to find out that I'm useless and I can't yeah. speak to people. Yeah, I used to and have so, that fear as well. <laughs> yeah, and I was sabotaging my job applications. I was missing off grades. So I was writing them with my non-dominant hand. Can you imagine what a cover letter written like that looks like? <laughs> Not so someone I that you really want to hire. Well. <laughs> yeah, so I did really, really well at not getting job interviews. Yeah. 
<laughs> but it just meant that I felt like I was being a burden on my my mum and I was under pressure to go out and get a job and you know I was feeling isolated feeling disconnected and I felt really hopeless I felt like this was just the way that I was I didn't fit in I was broken in fact I had to call myself defective and I just felt like there was nothing that I could do to change how I was or change the world around me Mm. and I felt like I was destined to just be a disappointment and to live in this pain so when I was 19 I actually overdosed and I ended up in hospital and you would think that you would get some support when you reach this stage but the response that I got when I was in A&E was did you do this for attention and of course that's the very last thing that I wanted so I went quiet and I didn't respond And eventually I was given a counsellor in my GP surgery and she was guiding me to talk about events that she obviously deemed worthy of suicide. And whilst these things were upsetting, they weren't the thing that was driving me Mm -hmm. to want to suicide. What was driving me to want to suicide was that pure self-hate that I had. The fact that I really, I couldn't see any good in me. I couldn't see that I, I had any use, like, or, or that I was worth connecting with or, or keeping alive. And so in counselling, obviously, again, I would just shut down. I literally froze. My body would not let me speak. and And that's what happened when I didn't feel safe and my counsellor's response was well you obviously don't want my help or you'd be talking to me and then that was the end of my counselling support because you know I got my mum to ring up and say what had happened and the doctor had gone oh well she's the best that we've got mm. which is you know painful I mean, <laughs> yeah 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 it was kind of you know put back on my door like I was in the wrong mm, yeah, so dismissing Yeah, definitely. And I kind of spent the next number of years struggling through. My mum had connected me with an old friend, one of the ones that I did like spending time with one-to-one. And we'd actually, we'd gone out and met a group of people that I'd used, used to hang out with and rekindled those friendships. And I kind of got back into the like, I'm going to be social and I'm going to drink and I'm going to kind of have that connection even if it is not really the that deep connection it's a real surface level connection it's something and I ended up getting a job in healthcare of course <laughs> <laughs> and I, I quickly got a job in the NHS after that uh, a friend of mine worked on one of the wards and I got a job with her and I was put forward to do a, a foundation degree at the local college so I decided to do that even though I was absolutely terrified and I was panicking about it. And I can remember on one of my night shifts, I was with a a trainee counsellor at the time. We were both working together as healthcare assistants. And I can remember just breaking down and talking about how awful my school experiences were and how I couldn't do presentations. And I think that was the first time that I was really listened to, the first time I was really heard. Because, I mean, even after I had overdosed the response that I got was like oh it's time to pull yourself together Mm. and I guess what I really needed was just for someone to listen to me to validate those feelings that I was having so I went along and I did the interview and I got on the course and it turns out that I can do presentations (laughs) and do them very well (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) and it's really using those those more introverted strengths that I have that mean that I can I can prepare really well. I'll spend a lot of time preparing for a presentation and then I can show up and deliver it. And at that time, it was more probably more stumbly and red faced. And one thing that I did realize was that even though I thought I was showing up with a red face, I actually wasn't because I did mm-hmm. a presentation when I did a, an internship with Cancer Research UK. And I did a pres- presentation to maybe 400 people at a, a school local to us. And in my presentation, I'd been talking about how this is really important. And that's how I can stand up here with, you know, 
a, a red face and shaking. And afterwards, a couple of the girls went, I don't know why you said that, because you didn't have a red face. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, maybe, like may- maybe the way that I see myself isn't actually how I come across. Mm. And I got really good feedback about that presentation. And it just started me questioning about the way that I see myself. Is that really how other people are seeing me? And the truth is it wasn't. I was so focused on everything that I saw as a flaw and I didn't give myself a chance to recognize the good that was in me and what I was doing well. I was just zooming in on the the things that I felt hadn't gone as well, which other people weren't even picking up on. Mm Yeah, I think we we have a tendency to do that, don't we? Like our our filters can be set to just looking at everything that that we consider bad or that we don't like about ourselves and miss so much of the good things and the strengths that we have and the qualities that we might have. Yeah. When I was about 21, I actually went back to the doctors again um because I felt like I needed more support, but I also felt like I'd already had that support and I still felt the same on many levels. And that really kind of reinforced this idea of like, I must be broken. I can't be fixed that there's something wrong with me because I already had that support and a lot of things still hadn't changed, which I think is a really common experience that many of us experience like we feel like we have one set of counseling sessions or we have that like one little block of support and we feel like or we expect that things are going to magically change for us that we're going to wake up the next day and everything's going to be fine and what I've learned over the last like 20 years or so is that actually things take time and that's okay and that this is a process and it's it's digging into some of this stuff, which obviously we're going to be exploring more throughout this podcast. And I think the big thing for me was when I started talking about my story, I heard a lot of people say, me too. Mm. And I realized that I wasn't alone and that other people felt anxious, even though I couldn't see that in them, even though I might look at people and see them as confident, they had real struggles as well. And I saw this especially when I was doing my foundation degree because there were people in the class that I would have considered to be a lot more confident than me who were struggling as much as and sometimes even more than I was with presentations or speaking up in class. And this was the first time that I was really talking about how much, how many, you know, how nervous I was about doing these presentations and and realizing that other people felt this way too uh and interestingly I I considered myself to be the quiet one in the class and someone else from that class contacted me last year and they started their message with you'll probably remember me as the quiet one in the class (laughs) (laughs) like not really how I saw her she certainly came across as more quietly confident Mm, Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How, I mean, like we all have our own perceptions of how we think other people see us and then other people might see us in different ways that they think that we might be seeing them in in certain lights when we might be thinking the complete opposite. It's (laughs) when you start to look at things from that perspective, like it just seems mad, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So the second pivotal kind of moment for me in my life was when I went to university so I studied fashion design and this was really the the space where I first learned the lesson that it's okay to make mistakes and that embracing the parts of you that are different from other people are the things that actually are the most interesting aspects of of who you are and we were really taught to just explore and to play and bring out those qualities within you that perhaps you don't actually like because that there was this whole idea around you know that ugly is actually beautiful so perhaps some of those things that you currently feel like are unacceptable to you like let's explore those and let's express those and let's see what we can transform them into so by the time I left university at this point I was 24 I remember leaving and feeling like a different person than the person that showed up on that first day yeah by the time I left 
I felt a lot more confident than I had. I think it was the first time that I had really, I think, accessed a part of confidence within me. And that was quite amazing for me. I was, I almost didn't know what that feeling was. And then that final big shift that I've experienced so far in my life it came you know, after I met Haley and we started working together on Quiet Connections. And then I trained to be an NLP practitioner. And it was on my NLP training that I think that just turned my world upside down, <laughs> made me question <laughs> so many different things. And all of a sudden I, I realized that I had been holding on to so many beliefs about myself that we're just not helpful and we're just not serving me and obviously it gave me the tools as well to start kind of working with those and start shifting those so there are still times where I still feel quite socially anxious and I think the biggest difference now is that I don't feel so ashamed of it that sense of shame that I used to experience, you know, when I couldn't speak to someone or when I started freezing up or when I would go silent, it still does happen at times. And that's okay. I think it's, it's looking at it from a different perspective. And one of the biggest things that I learned throughout that training was how much I identified as feelings or as behaviors that, that I had. So I very much kind of stood in the place of like, I'm an anxious person. I'm a shy person. I'm incapable. You know, it was very much, I am those things. And over time, like they became almost fused with what my sense of identity of, of who I was. And this, the, the NLP training and doing some work around language and stuff really helped to start separating that and for me to realize that actually I'm not anxiety because anxiety is a feeling you're so right though it's that identifying that our feelings are fluid and they come and go they're like mm. clouds passing through the sky they're not who you are and what we tend to do is pick them up and put them in a bucket and carry it with us wherever we go like this is a part of me and it's really <laughs> not we can put that bucket down it's not always with us we just have to notice the times when we are putting it down completely agree and that's exactly what I was doing I was walking around carrying these buckets of this is who I am I'm anxious I'm depressed I'm shy I can't speak to people I am incapable of, of doing certain things or, or a lot of things and looking at those things as as part of my identity was the thing really that I think led me to, to feeling like I was broken because those things were unacceptable to me from the way that I, I believed about them, you know, having those feelings of anxiety, feeling shut down, freezing, like those things felt unacceptable. They felt shameful. And because I saw those as parts of my identity and who I actually was, that meant that I was unacceptable, that it wasn't okay to be who I was and I think learning that actually those are emotions their feelings their behaviors they're not who I truly am was really a first amazing step for me to start separating the pieces and start asking myself well who who actually am I and start coming back to to who I was yeah and this is a really really powerful first step and we're actually going to be digging into this much more deeply in the next episode. How would you describe where you are now, Haley? So, well, I am a million miles away from where I was. Mm -hmm. And I definitely feel like I embody that quietly confident now. I've kind of made that my own. <laughs> I'm, and I'm okay with that. I can, I can feel confident in my own self. I'm very appreciative of my quiet strengths. Whereas before, I just didn't even recognize them. I just thought, oh, you know, these, these are things that everyone can do. And the important things are the more extroverted qualities that I don't really use. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's such a beautiful place to be, isn't it? When you start to see that those qualities within you and actually how how much strength there are and there's like I love that term quietly confident because I think that's something that so many of us especially those of us who are naturally more quieter it gives us something to to reframe our, our perception of what confidence can look like and to actually be like oh actually yeah I'm quietly confident 
I don't have yeah. to be loud to be perceived as as confident I can it's it's about me being grounded in who I am like to me that's what quiet confidence feels like yeah absolutely that to me confidence is all about being accepting of who you are and knowing that you have some tools that you can use to to show up and be seen and so I've been picking up these tools for the last oh I don't know over a decade now (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I can trust myself to to show up and to be able to cope with difficult situations now because I've got these tools um and because I know these techniques that are going to help manage those anxious feelings and I'm much more willing to to make mistakes I'm much more willing to you know let go of perfection now I know that that doesn't exist I know I'm striving for something that just isn't possible and therefore it's okay for me to just do my best and that's good enough and I'm also not afraid of the criticism or rejection like I was before because I feel like I do belong I feel like yeah, I've grown up in a world that has sent me messages that I don't belong, but that's not the truth. Mm. And I've certainly found belonging within myself. I found belonging with certain people. And the more that I show up as the person that I am, then the more I feel that sense of belonging. It's about owning it for me. Mm. I mean, that's so, so true, isn't it? Like, we can't belong if we're not showing up as who we truly are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that reminds me of what Brene Brown says, um, who is a wonderful researcher into connection and shame or everything that gets in the way of connection. And she talks about how our level of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. And really mm. it starts from within because quite often I know we can be looking externally and wanting things to change around us but that's really a cue that there's inner work to be done absolutely and I think for me learning the difference between fitting in and belonging was was quite important because fitting in was all about that externalization it's about the validation, gaining approval from other people. It's very much about what can I do for other people to like me or to approve of me or to be happy with me. So there was nothing in that around me, like <laughs> asking myself, like, what, what, what do I need to be happy? Or what is it that I want to share? What is it that I want to express? And then finding or just like stepping into that and then allowing the people who relate to that to, to come towards you. You know, you naturally find your people when you start showing up as, as who you truly are. And that is what belonging is. It's natural it's not about forcing or or shifting or changing yourself in order to be approved or be validated by other people yeah I think one of the challenges is that we don't necessarily realize that we're showing up with all this armor on and Mm. trying to we don't realize we're trying to fit in so this will be some topics that we'll explore throughout (laughs) this series as well so I guess it would be really useful to just pick out some of the key themes from your story and mine so in each of our stories you'll notice that there's a really strong element of connecting where we realize that we went alone weird broken defective because we've shared our stories with someone who said me too or because we've heard somebody else's story and it struck a chord with us and made us realize that other people feel the same way and other people experience similar challenges too so a really vital piece of the puzzle is to begin connecting with other people And this connecting with other people works so well for us because the thing that drives our sense of feeling like we're not good enough and wanting to hide ourselves away or hide parts of ourselves away is that sense of shame that we carry with us, which is defined by Brene Brown as that intensely painful feeling of believing that we are flawed and unworthy of love and belonging. But this sense of shame that bubbles under the surface in the darkness, it doesn't just go away. In fact, when it's kept hidden in the darkness, it simply grows and grows. We have to actively let it out into the daylight, sharing with people who can respond with empathy. And Stacey and I still do this. We still have these moments where we feel this sense of shame and we pick Mm. up the phone and go, I need to talk to you. (laughs) 
yeah it still comes up <laughs> i think it's it's recognizing that it's it's normal you know shame yeah. is an inherent human emotion it's normal for us to feel that sense of shame it's not pleasant it's not comfortable but it is a normal emotion and there are definitely ways that we can start learning how to feel more comfortable with that shame and start working through it but connecting with someone is definitely a, a first great step to to start working with it as opposed to trying to run away from it yeah so at quiet connections there are a couple of ways that you can do this we created an app the quiet connections app in response to the covid19 pandemic and we also have a facebook group where you can connect and support each other but what we also do is just share stories and quotes from people who have similar experiences on our facebook and instagram pages and also on our blog And this means that you can clearly see that you're not alone in your fears and challenges because there's so many people going through something similar right now. One of the other key components from moving from socially anxious to quietly confident is about stretching your comfort zone. It's recognizing that like the place where we probably are right now, where you're feeling like you are right now, this is going to be your comfort zone. The things that keep us small, that keep us hidden, that keep us feeling protected and and safe. All of those things currently exist within our comfort zone. Quite often what we hear from other people is in order to grow that you need to jump out of your comfort zone. You need to step right out of it, do something big, be really brave. And ultimately for, for a lot of us, what we then experience is panic. So when we look at that comfort zone stretch or just the comfort zone model, we have the comfort zone in the middle, then there's a learning zone and then there's a panic zone. So, so much of the advice and the tips that, that we receive from, you know, throughout society is to go from comfort zone into panic zone. What we've learned over the last years of, of working on ourselves and with working with clients is that the learning zone is really where we want to be. So we want to take those gradual steps, stretch in the comfort zone and in order to stay out of that panic zone and for that comfort zone to actually grow. And myself and Haley, we've experienced this many times, um, you know, practicing how to speak up and, you know, to deliver things like this podcast and to do webinars and things, you know, started with us in small, small groups, just practicing how to do presentations, practicing how to take those small little steps, you know, and, and having that, that permission and that space to actually make mistakes and to get it wrong and to, you know, to get feedback. Yeah, to get feedback. <laughs> You know, so the key word of this really is is that it's all about practice. I think so many of us, we don't give ourselves that permission, probably because we never received that permission in the first place to just have a go and to make mistakes, to just explore what something might be like without too much expectation as to what the outcome will be. And to take small steps, like the smallest steps that you can possibly think of are enough to start stretching that comfort zone. You don't have to take big leaps and, and jump from like one cliff to another. It's, it's about taking just those really small steps. We have a comfort zone stretch plan on our website, which is a free resource that you can download if you go to quietconnections.co.uk forward slash free gifts you'll be able to find the comfort zone stretch plan there. So that might be something that you'd like to just get started with and just explore like what some of those stretches are that you might be able to make. And then we've mentioned about having tools and techniques under your belt so that you can more confidently, more trusting in yourself, show up and and just have a go at things, knowing that you can manage those anxious feelings and, and difficult situations that you may find yourself in. This is the third step and this is like this is the model that we use within quiet connections it's connect stretch and grow so under the grow banner it is all of this learning that we do that involves learning maybe what is happening within our bodies when we are feeling anxious it's learning about tools and techniques that we can use to show up manage those anxious feelings to bring about feelings of confidence to anchor those feelings of confidence from those moments when we do feel it And it's also about working with your body 
because we find that when we are socially anxious, we tend to have lots and lots of feelings that are built up within us. And we have to find a way to release these, to start moving our bodies, because most of us tend to keep ourselves very small and hidden in the way that we hold ourselves, in the way that we move. And it's important to start actually taking up space and changing the way that we are using our bodies and interacting with the world around us. It's not just, it doesn't just happen in our heads. And this goes back to what you were saying, Stacey, about feeling like I should have all of this fixed because I've, Mm. you know, because I've had counseling. It's not just about having counseling. It's not just about talking about what's going on for you. It's not Mm. just about having CBT. And on that note, think it's 18 sessions of CBT is recommended whereas usually we only get about six sessions of CBT so it, there's no wonder that it doesn't have the impact that we expect it or want it to have mm. but there's a there's that missing piece there's all these different ways that we can work with our bodies as well as our minds and this is just as important although for me I had to really learn the kind of science behind it for you know take take breathing for example I would think oh I can breathe I'm breathing all the time (laughs) if breathing isn't going to work for me I'm I'm far too bad for breathing to work but when I learned about how it actually influences the body how it changes what your nervous system is doing it makes sense and it gave me the motivation to actually try it and give it a go and breathing is one of the most powerful things that you can do for your body to change how you feel and it really gives you that tool to take control of your emotions yeah it's about integrating the the mind and the body together isn't it to to become one whole system as opposed to those two separate pieces which I think is you know when a lot of us are trying to work on ourselves trying to um you know, support ourselves and and help ourselves to grow and to make those changes that we tend to isolate those two things. We're either working on our minds or we're working on our bodies when the two simultaneously need to be, need to be worked together. Yeah, that is absolutely right. So we'll leave it there. And thank you so much for joining us for this first episode of Quiet Connections podcast. And in episode two, we'll be exploring the very first puzzle piece that often gets missed. This is the key to unlocking your ability to create the change that you want to see in your life. And it involves shifting your perspective away from seeing anxiety as part of who you are, just like we were talking about earlier. This missing puzzle piece creates the belief that you can change. And this is what propels you forwards. So we really look forward to you joining us for episode two. And in the meantime, please stay connected. Thanks for listening. You can find the show notes from this episode at quietconnections.co.uk Before you go, please subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with all future episodes. With gratitude for the support of the National Lottery Community Fund.